Hello again, dear friends and listeners. Welcome back to Discourse, the Grabbing Back podcast. Coming in hot with our latest recording, this audio piece was created as part of Grabbing Back's theme month, where our creators focused on the word own. Six people, some of whom knew each other, some who didn't, got in a Zoom room and chatted through what first came to mind when they heard the word own. Join us as a fly on the wall as we listen to our creators talk about ownership of language, space, swimming pool lanes, bodies, racial identity and the feminist movement. Who owns these things? Do we? Should we? How can we? Definitions of words used, info on writers discussed and references are all on grabbingback.com along with a transcript of the conversation for accessibility purposes. So do check out our website for all that and our other brilliant theme month posts. As ever, if you want to get in contact, join the team or pitch an article, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at grabbing underscore back or check out our website grabbingback.com. Thank you to Melissa, Julia, Graziella, Katie and Will for sharing their thoughts and experiences alongside myself, Kayara. And thank you, Anna, for facilitating our excellent chat. Right, on with your fly on the wall listening. Hi, hello. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, kind of, I think the positioning of it being on that when seeing own on the grabbing back page kind of positions me already to look at it, obviously from kind of feminist perspective. And immediately the kind of thing that draws to my head is like Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. And so looking at kind of ownership and space and how place can inform identity and also space can inform autonomy. Um, and that, that those kind of ideas is kind of what I would think of in the immediate. Yeah. Tell me more what you mean about space and autonomy. Could you define the word autonomy for us? Uh, I guess freedom to act. It's a, I suppose it's a, it's, a, it's a weird one to think about to define. But I mean, just as uh, Virginia Woolf puts forth, like the idea that um, to be able to write, one needs that space. But also then I, I, a lot of my work at my undergrad, I did a cinema degree and I looked at queer cinema in the 1980s um, in Britain looking at how space informs identity and looking at my essay my dissertation was called a club of one's own looking at how queer club space was able to kind of be this counter space for people to go into and to be a rule-breaking place to to be able to to have kind of freedom of sexual expression away from a kind of heteronormative gaze so yeah like that sort of ownership of identity and how identity and, and place form I suppose is what I mean in that direction. <laughs> um, no, I was actually just going to like basically reiterate what you said. I think it's really nice and it's like exactly how I think of it as well. Like in a less sort of like important way, I also have such a strong sense of like, just like owning stuff is really important. Like you just build up, you like surround yourself with like your own personality. Um, and I've always had this weird thing where like, this is so strange, but my mom doesn't live with her partner. And she loves it because she's got this like lovely house with like all of her little like knickknacks and things. And it's just like an expression of her. And it's like the one place where she gets to completely just like indulge in herself and who she is. And I think that's like lovely, you know? Yeah, no, no. so 
it kind of links into what I was I wrote down, um, which is something we've been thinking about a lot recently, which is we have this obsession with the ownership of things, others, but also ourselves. Um, and I think in the Western, I guess, canon, there's this idea that everything things need to be static. So um, we, have, we have to be controlling the uncontrollable and we get this sense of control from owning a thing and saying this thing is mine so I can control it or you can substitute thing with person. But I think it gets really interesting when you think about yourself and how you can be very transient. And um, there's this pressure to be total or to have this stability or totality. Um, I mean, we've all heard these, that sort of narrative of trying to find yourself or knowing what you want. And um, this also goes down the lines of labels, which can be super helpful for some people, but I think sometimes can become quite limiting. And perhaps I um, have a strange relationship with identity because I have so many identities and none of them I really fit into completely. But um, I think sometimes understanding that you can't own something, you can't own an identity, or you can't perhaps put it into words and that it can be transient, it can change and that's okay. Letting go of yourself, of the things you own, of others, but I think primarily yourself can be quite freeing. Yeah, I, I think that, that, that like stasis of ownership is a really interesting um, and, and point. Actually, you, like kind of leading onto like kind of Butler ideas around around um, almost reappropriation of language then and taking it from a static and removing it from a kind of collective uh, or, or a kind of patriarchal ownership of a term and ownership of language and how that forms our relationship to identity and, and, and shapes our understanding of then the, the world itself. And, and I, I, yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting. And, and that, that's why terms like queer and for, for, for me personally as well, becomes a real point of power because it's a rejection of that static. It's a, this, this kind of, it, it, it's a rejection of just any ontological claim about my own sexuality or my own gender. And it can be temporal, it can, it can flux and change and, and that willingness to have a term in which is reappropriated and taken, especially, I mean, it relates to um, grabbing back, doesn't it? I mean, you, the, whole, the whole idea um, is, is, is about a kind of reappropriation and that, that is taking something's ownership away into a kind of collective or progressive ownership possibly, yeah. Um, well, reclaim, uh, reappropriate. I, I did some notes before. I looked at the definition of the word, um, and one of the definitions is like to reclaim or recover something for one's own use. So then, the re if we're talking about reappropriating language, it's just like the term queer that previously was used to, um, to it was it's derogatory against gay people and uh, people with just non-heteronormative um, backgrounds. Um, and and reappropriating language to make that kind of powerful and 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 and, and against that oppression. But then ontological, um, I suppose, like to make it to, to, like it becomes a claim of like almost the metaphysical, something behind it, a claim that is like static and rule and law, one that can't be. It's the true nature of something, I suppose. Uh, I think is a good way. Is that it's a it's hard again. It's like you you've thrown some hard ones at me, but uh, I also I use the term, so it's my fault. But yeah, it's a claim about the true nature would be would be a way of talking about it. Um, 
Yeah. So following on from that, one of the things, and obviously I've had a good long while to think about this as a theme. Um, one of the things I first thought of was Leslie Gore's song, You Don't Own Me, which if anyone doesn't know is a real banger <laughs> um, and came out in the 1960s and basically is just this song saying like saying to her lover or her boyfriend or whoever it is like you don't own me you don't own my body you don't own the right to me like I am my own person and it was this real kind of rallying call for second wave feminists to think about that and claiming themselves um and then I started thinking about like the title grabbing back and where that originally came from and, and how I first came up with that um and so the way oh everyone's disappeared on zoom I know they are <laughs> computers doing strange things um the way I kind of first came up with that was thinking about this idea of ownership and particularly thinking about um ideas of ownership of and space in conversations and in kind of general power structures wherever that could be uh, if that's in land if that's in labor if that's in relationships um because I kept thinking about that really famous line from that annoying orange man of how he just like grabbed a woman by the pussy and how everyone got so annoyed by that and I kind of wondered like what would happen if she just like turned around and like grabbed him back or said like no or you know don't do that and we don't know you know the the instances of that particular example but I kind of started to think about this word grabbing and how it's always seen as this kind of like we talk about things like land grabs and power grabs and this idea of taking what isn't yours um and then I started thinking about how a lot of the time when people of minority genders or minority backgrounds start to take up space in places of power, they often get told that they are being really loud, really bossy, taking up too much space, taking up what effectively shouldn't be theirs. Um, and I got really angry about that because <laughs> if you think about it, what we the narrative that we has, have as a society is you've been forced into this place of lesser power. And if you try and take back what should rightfully by like proportion of, you know, however many people there are in population, there should be like 50, 50 women on boards or whatever measure we take from that. People should be able to take back that power that should, by all rights and fairness, be theirs. But when you do it, you get told that it's somehow wrong and you're somehow making a grab for power that is completely unfair and unjust. So, yeah, that was a bit, bit of a long tangent, but that's what I thought of when I thought of the theme. Own. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, like, it's a funny thing where you just often women and minorities often think that they just don't have like a right to stuff like you just don't have a legitimate claim on loads and loads of things and it just manifests itself in the weirdest ways um and I, I really have such a funny shit example but like I have this thing of like owning the swimming pool lane and whenever I go to the swimming pool there's always men there and they always just go like, there's two people in the lane and they go like right in the middle. And then they just like go like at you and you they don't move out of the way and like you do. And I think it's, it's a funny, it's a very stupid, like funny, like minor example of this thing. You just don't feel like you have the right to sort of have stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's best if it means that somebody else can't. Um, so yeah, no, I just love that way of putting it. I think it's really interesting. I, 
I tr I always try to do the like I, I always try to do manspread uh, in in the metro actually in in Lille in France because it's well, I think it's uh, everywhere is like this but I I started to get angry about this so I decided to like just like manspread back and guys would get super super pissed and angry and like yell at me and like insult me because I, I did that and yeah I, I just wanted to I wanted to share my experience about this and when I do that when I do that like uh, back uh, home like in like my hometown I'm always looked at like oh you're not you're not very feminine and like you should be like more like how do you say what did I say uh, you must be yeah, how you, according to society yeah. standards. Yeah, you have to be like this way and that, that would piss my family like yeah. they would be really like non, I think they're used to it now but at first when I started to, to see it like in that way uh, or I don't know, whistle in the street or doing certain things that were considered as like manly it was super like you know, it created, it was like a source of conflict actually okay it's um what i have written about this concept um i, I didn't re read actually it's all in my thoughts by the moment but it's quite similar that uh, the the argument you were saying about about body in general i mean for me, if we own something, it's our body. I mean, or really, we are really our own belongings of ourselves. I mean, just in our body. I mean, probably not in our behavior or, you know, or backgrounds. They are not totally dependent on us. But a body, I mean, it's like, something that you it's just it's just so personal and i'm i am totally agree with you with when you are saying about uh how can we use or appropriate this public space in a different way because patriarchy i mean it it can you know it can determine how is your body how you must show to the others that you are a woman, you are a man, you know, and public space in general, we are just in a little, little tiny space as women. Like, oh, you're not gonna disturb anyone. You have to be quiet. You have to be in a little space of the bus stop. Uh, so no one could see you. No one could disturb you. No one could harass you because you are not showing your body. You are not showing. You are you are using clothes that are not uh, show your arms or whatever. So for me, the concept is so linked to how can we show our identity, as Will was saying. Uh, but at the same time, how come can we be empowered 
on our body because it's the only thing that we all belong by ourselves. I, I don't know if I can I can like reply and say my, my ideas. And first I wanted to reply to this idea of owning our, our bodies and it's quite uh how do you say I'm very angry at uh, the situation in Chile. For example, we, we come from Chile and we we don't totally own our bodies as the state doesn't want us to like uh, decide if we have, we want to get pregnant or not. And if, if we if we we don't have the full decision on our bodies, so this is very how do you say? And we're talking about justice, we're, we're talking about like uh, uh, legal concepts and we're talking about, um, how do you say, yeah, privilege uh, that we, we, we don't get to like access and we have to fight for the right to own our own bodies. I wanted to reply to this idea, uh, I just thought about it. And uh, I don't know if I can add another idea or I can, like, as a queer foreigner individual living in Europe and coming from Latin America, this is a very interesting thing to, uh, to think about because um, uh, when I came out, I, I had to start, like, thinking about my own definition of myself and my relationship to the world and um my own definition of love and how I wanted to like I don't know exist and I think it's super like it's a very intense process when you come from a very like conservative background especially from a country where there are a lot of people who don't want to don't want you to exist or like live like the way you want to live so it's a very intense process um i think about this idea first and then uh i, I was thinking about the idea of uh, taking up some space in the more space in the public uh space spheres and i started doing drug king uh like a few years ago and it made me realize like the differences and uh, how we use make use of the space because I had like some, how do you say, uh, workshops when the the only thing we had to do is like, imagine you, you're a man, like a cis guy, and you're walking on the street and you have to walk and sit down and talk to people, even like grabbing like a glass of water and everything was different. So from that day, I started like to think about how I like interact with the world and move and uh, how I own this space and sometimes when I don't feel like confident enough or when I'm feeling like scared or anything I try to imagine like, uh, I'm like a like random cis uh, white guy and like how he would like walk on the street and take up all the space that's what I wanted to <laughs> share with you it was, it was in relation to the, the idea of the, the bodies and ownership and 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 um, thinking actually like in terms of maybe my, my, my perspective on that and, uh, and coming, coming from kind of butler areas is actually that even the, even the body, um, especially in terms, 
even that is something that, that lacks possession because because we we understand the body only through our own perception and thus the, the the way we've built language around the body changes our outlook on it as a whole i mean it, like 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 has a claim that sex is, a, is is also a social construct that the, the way we understand our body is is, is is disconnected from its actuality that we, we the ownership that we want to be there is somewhat fractured um and especially like in terms of the way i want to um in terms of uh just i suppose just don't know where i'm going at this point somewhat <laughs> somewhat fallen um but just how how our bodies are pressed into certain molds and ideas through social constructions and through kind of um um what's it that heterosexual matrix i think is what judith butler refers it to as which is a, a lovely term um but just just the kind of cultural hegemony that pushes our bodies into places that maybe we don't want to be even even sizes and weights and shapes and 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 things like that you know like uh, like a def definitely to do with ideas of eating disorders is, is, a, is a lack of control of one's own own, own body and, and i know um personal relationships with, with, with those kind of issues it, it, the, the the kind of idea that, that that i maybe had ownership of my my body in that regard felt really quite fractured but i do think it's i think it's interesting and and um and and maybe different ways of looking at ownership and bodies um yeah yeah i, I think um will's brought up a really important point which is you know I agree, Graciela, we should have ownership of our bodies. Um, but we exist in a society where, in many ways, everything and everyone's constantly trying to take ownership of our bodies. Um, and we are expected to exist for someone else's perception. And I think that's when, that, that's at least where I see the crux of the issue. Um, in the most banal ways, walking down the street, um, Kyra's experiment, for example, but also in, um, I guess, more, let's say, I don't know, palpable, like physical ways, um, like Will was saying about taking up space physically and feeling that disconnect with your body. But I also, I think it would be really, it, it's really interesting to think about how obviously physically uh, violence against um, women and marginalized people very much is linked to taking away a sense of ownership of bodies, but even just metaphorically, um, when you walk into a space and um, someone takes up your space or looks at you a certain way, um, there's a constant self-reflection that I think doesn't exist in some other people's minds, um, perhaps people who aren't um, marginalized or perhaps people who are marginalized, perhaps it's a personal experience as well, but, um, I don't think that everyone is constantly thinking, well, how am I being perceived at this point in time? Um, I think it's a very normal human th thing to have that cross your mind. Um, perhaps the frequency in which it happens is uh, uh, something to be discussed, but I, I, I find that, that quite interesting, the idea of existing for another and even just your body existing for another and not for yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I basically just agree, but I was reading recently um, Ways of Seeing by John Berger, and he has this really nice example about, or sort of point, about the difference between uh, like nudes, as in painted nudes, and then nakedness. 
and the sort of idea of nakedness is that you sort of own it and it's a, you're, you're kind of in control of it and then a nude he said that typically nudes have been obviously painted of women and it's all for this like male spectator and he thinks that this is kind of like a manifestation of this whole thing that women do but they're sort of constantly aware of how they're being perceived and it doesn't really seem to be seems to be a very like gendered thing that you're like not in control of how you're perceived but you're kind of trying to at least like bend yourself to like the expectations that you just feel are placed on you um and then I kind of have like a funny um example of I think that kind of shows this of how I just have this I just think that men really do just have so much more control over their body and how they want to be seen um and it's just that I once went to this stand-up comedy show and this guy had like a toga on and he was like a young guy and he was good looking and the sort of joke was that it was like it would sort of fall off a bit and you'd see his dick. And like that was kind of his thing. And you mean he said it in this funny voice, and like that was kind of the joke. And I mean it wasn't like it wasn't like he was some, um, you know, there's some ways where maybe people would be sort of like kind of think there's like there is like obviously not sexual, but I mean he looked good, like it's kind of sexy. So like, but he was getting to make this a joke, like he was getting to make this like a funny thing that he was doing. And I just couldn't have done that. Like I could get on stage and just like let a thing and like try and make a joke of it, but I just don't think people would laugh. Like I don't think people think that was funny. They would make it sexual, and I don't get to control that. But this guy just got to go up on stage, be naked, and he was so in control that like, he got to like make you perceive it how he wanted. And I don't know. I think it's like a kind of weird, but like kind of good example of like the difference between like controlling your body and like owning your body or not. Um, I was thinking about uh, two concepts because there are bodies that are controlled by power and others doesn't in a certain way, you know. So some bodies are like the black side and others one are the, the white side or the light side, you know. So it reminds me two concepts that are trying to to give us lens to try to analyze the situation about bodies and that, that kind of classifications. I mean, intersectionality and colonialism, because as Melissa was saying, we, we belong to a Latin American country uh, that was colonized by, you know, a European country. And in that process, there are some bodies that doesn't they didn't belong to their own, uh, you know, persons because they were for work or exploited. But other bodies can, you know, be landlords, be, uh, you know, have power in that process. So it's that that kind of autonomy is just for one kind of people and others doesn't have that opportunity as well as uh, if we are thinking about intersectionality as Will was saying uh, blackness it seems like oh I mean you you don't belong entirely your body because your body is for because you are a whore you are a you know like the worst thing uh, but in the other side, there are bodies that are autonomous, are, have power. So 
I was thinking about that. Yeah, I think that kind of intersectional approaches is, is so important, right? This idea of we've been talking about gender, but actually we know that feminism is so much more than just gender. It's all our different aspects of identity from race and gender and class and so on. Um, it's interesting, Will, that you thought about Fanon. I thought about Spivak. <laughs> Um, so for those who don't know, um, and I'm only just beginning to figure it out because my word, what a dense writer, um, but Spivak wrote on, uh, was, uh, wrote on particularly experiences of women, uh, in the kind of Asian context, especially Southeast Asian context and colonialism and her most famous text book is called Can the Subaltern Speak? Um, and the idea of the kind of subaltern, which I put in quote marks, um, was the idea of this kind of colonized or brown woman. Um, and she makes this point that colonialism uh, or even modern kind of ideas of international development and, and, and charity are all about this idea of white men saving brown women from brown men. Um, and I think that combined with just actually just the title of the book, um, are really powerful in this discussion. Um, and this idea of, you know, what does it mean to speak for yourself, to have your own sense of agency? Um, and even if you're kind of standing up for other people or speaking on the behalf of other people, what does that mean for their sense of self and their sense of ownership over themselves um i i've always found kind of well not always actually but i've recently found race to be a very interesting personally interesting thing to reflect on um because i i have mixed heritage um which <laughs> so my so my mom is white and my dad is latino um but i grew up in a very very diverse part of london and i got told growing up that i was white because I did the classically white things of playing piano and going to ballet classes and my mum was white so of course I was white and I really thought that was how the world perceived me and it wasn't until I went to university which was much whiter and I started to get like microaggressions um which took a while for me to realize <laughs> what they were um that I suddenly went hang on that's that's not my identity and it was it was kind of disempowering because I it, it wasn't disempowering because I wasn't I wasn't white but it was more disempowering because I thought I had this sense of who I was I thought I had this claimed sense of ownership over my identity and I didn't um and actually other people got to decide that um and I think look, to some extent that is quite useful right like I don't want to be saying, you know, every individual should have like ownership over every aspect because I think that kind of takes away the usefulness of collective decision making and collective ownership of certain things. Um, I think if we look at the case of someone like is it Rachel DeLiesel, was that her name? Uh, yeah, the woman who who said that she was black, although she had uh although she was she was white and she was claiming that she was black and claiming ownership of that identity and then actually using it to get into positions of representing black women even though that was not a true reflection of her identity 
that's clearly quite harmful and damaging. So I'm not saying that we should always be able to claim that and own that on ourselves. But I think, yeah, I was just reflecting on how unusual it can be to not have that sense of knowing how you're perceived and that sense of ownership over your identity um, or have it change in a way that you didn't expect or weren't prepared for. Um, Yeah. So microaggressions are um, mini aggressions. Easy peasy. Um, They are um, ways that people express racism or sexism but we normally talk about it in terms of race uh in a way that is pretty undetectable to people that it's not being directed to or to people who are not in uh a situation um so something um yeah something that someone might say or do to you um a classic example Uh, for gender is if you are in a team meeting and you as a woman make a very eloquent point and then somebody else says um, that's such a good idea actually my idea was and then they repeat your idea uh, but claim credit for it or uh, as happened to me I once fainted and when I came around somebody says wow you changed race you went so pale Uh, that would be an example because it perpetuates certain stereotypes or lack of power and voicelessness. I know Julia is going to come in with something really interesting here (laughs) because we've talked about this before. Yeah um, no I I really um, empathize with a lot of that (laughs) so just for context um, I'm Latina but I grew up in Asia where if you're not Asian you're white, <laughs> which is um, obviously like fair in the way that I grew up perceived. I think that also that's even that's a, so I'm getting flustered. Whenever we talk about identity, I guess I get like I start shaking. <laughs> but um, I think even that was interesting because to people that were white, we definitely weren't. Um, so it's a lot about perception and who's doing the perceiving. And I don't know, I, I do very much. I, I and it, I think it's really hard then to be like, okay, so I have this identity. People perceive me in a certain way, but if you feel like you can't claim the identity completely because you haven't had certain experiences, and um, I do have family back in South America, and they they have completely different realities from from me. And recognizing the privilege you do have and the privileges you don't have, like like even just my my cousins can't get an abortion, for example. I very easily, if I had a problem, could could find that privilege. Um, so I, I find it really difficult. Maybe this is perhaps what I was intellectualizing at the very start when I was talking about stasis and, and transience. It's really difficult to pin down these terms. And I do think they're very helpful because at least for me, I had a bit of a renaissance within myself and I was like, well, I'm a Latina and you know, like, I love all this music and it's great, but... Um, a lot of the time it's difficult to both recognize your privileges and recognize where, you know, you might pass or you might be, um, you know, you might have sort of material or economic or other forms of privileges and not feel guilty about also then saying, okay, well, you know, in some cases I do, I am perceived in one way and in other cases I'm perceived in a different way. So I don't know, and maybe this is getting to um, 
personal and not theoretical enough for grabbing back, but it's it, it's hard to then not feel guilt as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, especially within my personal context, um, where my family, uh, my mom's side is mixed race um, in a way, yeah, that I guess within Latin America would be considered mixed race. Um, and my entire family passes very, very easily as being white. Um, like, like, we are all very obviously Latinas, but white Latinas. And racist, that, that's a whole sort of can of worms, how race is perceived in Latin America versus how race is perceived in, in Europe or in other places around the world. Um, so when I was talking about passing, I meant passing as white, but then there's also the, the cultural passing, right? So code switching, and that's, um, that's a big thing. Um, the way that I speak when I'm here at university versus the way I speak when I'm at home versus the way I'm, I speak when I go back to, for example, Brazil or to, to my father's place as well, like completely different. So I think there's, there's the passing, physical passing. There's also the, the sort of uh, cultural or linguistic passing as well, which I think is interesting. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I wanted to reply to, uh, to Julia's idea, but she left. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, it's been almost eight years since I, I left Chile and I, and I went living in France. And um, um, I'm like a white, Lat I, I consider myself like a, a white Latina. So as um, with all the privilege that, that brings uh, that brought to me in Chile, I never asked myself about these questions until I started uh, like listening to like my, my friends who experienced racism and like I, I mean I started having this kind of conversations with people. but when I got to France, I was directly put in the like case like you're Latina. <laughs> So you're you're supposed to be like this, like this, like this, and um, and I I really relate to like this experience of being far away. Well, I mean, I'm I'm far away from what was my home because I created my own home in France, and I started, for example, working in this like uh, Latin American bars, and people were like really surprised uh, because I wasn't like this stereotype of uh, like, like a Latin American woman, like cis woman, like curvy and like sexy and good at dancing and like very nice to guys. And like there, there was this whole, I discovered there was like this whole, um, how do you say, wide um, world of stereotypes towards like Latin American woman. So, yeah, first I, I I saw myself like in front of the situation, and after that, I realized I wasn't I wasn't considered in Chile. I'm considered like a white person, but when I get to Europe and from since the moment I, I start talking, I'm considered as a Latin American person, and like the privileges are not the same. So there's a lot of mixed feelings and like experiences, uh, feeling feelings of guilt many times guilt because I'm living like a much like comfortable and privileged life than many of my friends in Chile, um, 
and then kind of com it's super confusing actually and sometimes i, I was talking with uh, another like other racialized uh, people and marginalized people and like immigrants and i don't know black people and people like of color in france and i was wondering like do you consider me like as a white person or how can i like join your struggle or you consider me like a white person and all of them were like of course you're not white like you're latin american <laughs> it was it was super like i don't know kind of mind-blowing confusing like uh, really really curious experience actually because uh the way i perceived my, i perceived myself in chile changed totally when i got to france and then the way i perceived my uh myself in france at first totally changed like with the different like uh, struggles that i started to join and the different conversations that i started to have with people and then i realized i was seen totally differently uh than the way that i looked at myself uh like uh, comparing myself with French people, you know. Yeah, I think that this is point, and, and for the personal experience, it's like a really gorgeous way of like talking about diaspora, and and and, and especially when when I speak about that term, and I will def I'll define it now, so I don't get asked. But if I talk about Stuart Hall's definition, um, he describes it as this, like endless desire to return to lost origins and it's a sense of disconnection from ethnicity or disconnection from race or just disconnection from any any facets of identity you can there's a sense of queer diaspora and trying to look back at maybe queer past that's been erased and just different histories that have been disconnected from from people in a movement from one place to another or in a oppression in one place um but i i i think um in terms of it highlights kind of the constructedness of both ethnicity and race in, in, in the discussion that you're talking about. It's like you're both having to look at a, a sense of identity that you don't quite know being in a different place. And then, and then a sense of identity that's pressed upon you by people around you and which is different from yours as well. And this sense of a lost origin, I think, really comes into it because it's not not only in your own sense of identity, it, it can be lost. But you, 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 even when you try to look back at, say, a home country and and, a, and connect to an identity from from say a home place, that sense of that place is not with you at that point. It's a sense of place that is disconnected from that. And 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 like you're saying with with family members that are dealing with really um, difficult situations um, um, in, in in certain countries, like trying to connect to that experience while having the privilege of being in Europe there's this sense of disconnection and diaspora in that, that own identity I think it's a really super a, a lovely way um, to relate those like personal experience into to the formation of identity and, and ownership I think that's really great um <clears throat> so I read this really interesting book called categories we live by um by this really cool woman called Oster I think that's how you say her name, I hope so. Um, and she was kind of like her whole, she had this whole theory on like what it is to belong to a social category. And I think it's really just trying to capture that exact experience. Like she has this really interesting example at the start, which is talking about some like fictional person walking through a city and every single different part of their identity that becomes salient or sort of that becomes important as they walk through and like navigate their way through that city. Um and our whole theory is like kind of simplified probably 
butchering it explanation of her. But she has a kind of whole thing that like people like confer whatever category you are on you and they're kind of trying to track a base property and that's going to change context by context, the thing they're trying to track. But that's just what you are in that context because the, the whole point kind of is that like your social category is really about how you function socially. Um, and I think it's interesting because I've not really explained it that well, but her argument's like super interesting, compelling, and also like actually not problematic. Like she really does like take into account the fact that self-identifying matters like a huge amount. But there's this really interesting conflict between like your social social category does kind of seem to just be what people think you are, just because that's like I mean how it's like as a lot of it is how you function in the world. But it also seems to be like so much to do is like who you feel that you are. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting book for thinking about that kind of tension between those two things. I relate to a lot of those interesting uh, complications of owning your own identity and um, owning the, your heritage and the space that you fit into, how you're categorised. How do you find that tension um, when also trying to claim ownership to a part of the feminist movement, if that's something that you you do want to do? How do you um, find the difficulty of, of saying, yeah, okay, I have a stake in the feminist movement, or I have a stake in the anti-racist movement, or I have a stake in the Afro-Caribbean diaspora asking for its rights, while also feeling like it's really challenging to own that aspect of your identity how do you then also say I'm part of this do you do that at all do you find that challenging do you want to do that um well I I think it's totally challenging because right now it's like the whole system is always telling us what to do, how to be, must be our behavior, how to dress, how to introduce other people, how, you know, to perform your gender in the spotless worlds. I mean, but if I have this commitment, it's because I think it's totally necessary because I see, I mean, every day is oppression, so many things, and I think that I I can do something about it. I mean, at least with this issue, because worlds have many other issues, but I think this one particularly, I think I can change like, something. Um, and it's quite hard because if I, you know I look my background, it's totally different. I mean, probably my parents are not can't imagine what I'm studying because I'm doing gender studies. Uh, I don't even know what is the issue, what are the problems behind it. Or people of my, you know, my personal circle, they are supporting me, but they don't realize about how, how are the consequences of that kind of problem. So it's challenging because all social pressure and people it's not people around me doesn't understand necessarily what I'm doing. But I think it's part of my identity to have this commitment. And I think 
it's mainly because I think I can change something at the end. I don't know if you... Yeah. Um, I'm always, like, divided between, like, go to the events and talk to people and try to meet people and taking care of my mental health. <laughs> because it takes a lot of energy, actually, to, like, commit and like be there and I think I do it like on a small scale like every day and for me like there's like many ways to like commit and like and like join the struggle and like support and but I always try to to do it from a, like a place of like taking care of people around me and like for creating like this sense of community and I'm not always ready and like uh, I say I don't always have the energy to be like protesting or like in the streets and like I don't know shouting and being loud because I I have a lot of anxiety actually and police scare me <laughs> a lot so i always try to like um yeah create this this like safe or safer spaces between people who i know are also like marginalized and we need to create like this kind of um, network network yeah exactly um and about university i'm yeah, I think it, it like the, the the fact of being like a queer Latin American student in France, uh, like among a lot of white people, actually, um, it has like defined a lot of decisions that I've taken for the, my subjects of research, and I'm always trying to talk about these things in class, and always it, it has like. I'm very curious about it and I always want to try to uh, I always want to like show and speak up and I think it's a very it's a very interesting thing to say but it's the same Graciela says it's like uh, I, I cannot always talk about for example this kind of stuff with my family uh, and there's a, like a, not a disconnection, but there's like a difference between sometimes the things that I talk about in university and the things I feel free to talk about in, at home. So it's, it's very challenging, actually, even in the way that people speak at university, because it's like a totally different different way. And it's quite elitist, I think. Uh, and I'm so tired of it. <laughs> so I have to get, like adapt to it and try to... Like uh, use the, those codes and to like get to the points I'm I want to get to. I don't know if I made myself clear. Okay. Yeah. Relating to that question of like, yeah, how how to enact this change when seemingly these possessions of of identities have been claimed i mean we, we how we, the words and language we built around to understand the world are not our own though then and how can they be our own and how can we build those structures and also a sense of it's a, another 
the Butler statement, but there's no you without I or no I without you. And thus we, there needs to be this sense of, there needs to be a reader to be read and the, you know, like, like the, 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 through that perception. But I, th- I, I think it all comes down to, like you're saying, there's this, the, the acts of kindness and these acts of autonomy about boosting other people's freedom to be able to move about the world. And I think like, actually when it comes down to, well, we, well, we can, um, Actually, I, I believe over intellectualized aspects and over um, even into a sense, even over label certain aspects of it. Fundamentally, what, what, what I think progressive causes stand to, to push forward is autonomy for um, the, the for, for masses and for people who have been previously marginalized and and. To bring to, to, to that as a as a foundation, I think is it, it, although it seems quite difficult at the moment, is actually a very popular idea. People, when brought to attention, acts of of brutality will often will, 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 we have an instinctive nature to be kind towards. That, I feel, and actually, uh, so much of the language becomes a barrier, and and both there needs to be. Um, I think safe spaces are a really important place to be able to talk about and discuss ideas. But also, safe spaces from um, not not in a sense of where words, well, certain words and certain behaviours that people maybe haven't got accustomed to and 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 don't want to cause offence, but are trying to figure out language, um, especially in terms of, of, of debates around identity and gender that that are really fresh to some people and haven't gone through higher education systems in which have taught us queer theory or things around that. Um, having the autonomy to have discussions without being um, without. Even even in when even if people intend to cause offence, to, to to look back at possibly an ideological um, ideas behind what they're putting forth, are they trying to hurt me because of, of, of a person? They're trying to hurt me because I'm an I'm an idea. And having have been able to discuss with people who find the idea that maybe I'm queer is a, abhorrent, and 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 think 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 that because at the end of the day if I don't have that faith that people can come around to those ideas, then I don't think I'm a particularly progressive person. I would put forth.